Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, the editor of Campaign US, and my guests this week are from Dirty Robber, the Oscar and Emmy-winning production company behind the famous Nike documentary Breaking Two and the Netflix show Two Distant Strangers. When working with brands, Dirty Robber runs the gamut from traditional advertising and short-form content to long-form documentaries and branded feature films. I'm joined by Martin Desmond Rowe, founder and creative director at Dirty Robber, and Jasper Tomlinson, executive producer and head of branded content, to chat about the rise of the brand film trend, its place in the future of marketing communications, and how the process flips the paradigm of creative execution on its head. Hi, Martin and Jasper. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you. Good morning. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Morning. Well, thank you for being here. I'm very excited to have Oscar-winning directors on my podcast today. Never thought I would say that. Um, so I guess, why don't you guys start by by telling us a little bit about Dirty Robber and the work you've done in the past and, and how you position yourselves in the market, and then we can get into some of the cool stuff that you're doing for brands. Absolutely. Um, so Dirty Robber, we're a production company, um, and uh, historically we've specialized in uh, documentary style documentaries and uh, documentary branded content and, and advertising. And we've done, we've had a long career uh, in the sports world. Um, we've had a, I think at this point a seven, <clears throat> maybe even eight year relationship now with Nike, um, where we've done everything from digital online content through to um, the Breaking Two campaign that they did and a feature film with Nat Geo. Um, and uh, we've also got a. A television arm uh, where we have two different shows on Netflix um, and a, a narrative arm that uh, just made a short film that won this year's uh, Academy Award for Best Live Action Short Film for a film called Two Distant Strangers. Amazing. So what was the film about? The film is a, uh, it was written by Trayvon Free and it is a retelling, a reusing of the Groundhog Day loop, uh, the sort of, you know, the very famous, uh, you know, repeating day uh, loop story to examine uh, police brutality against Af- the African-American community. Um, so it's about a, a black guy wakes up every day uh, and keeps getting killed by the same cop. Wow. Yeah. Sounds really powerful. Thank you. Um, must have been very exciting to win an Oscar. So congrats. Just <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sad that you couldn't go to the red carpet, but maybe next year. <laughs> There's a red carpet this year. Oh, what there? Okay, yeah, sorry. Right. Like, my my face, my photo with my me and Trayvon and I went, and our photo was on the front page of the BBC, which is like the uh, the highest honor a British person can ever receive. I'm like, I'm done now. I did it. You know. Wow! Congratulations! <laughs> and I just admitted to all of the advertising industry that I didn't watch the Oscars. So <laughs> you you and everybody else this year. So you know, don't feel bad. It was a tough year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, awesome. So production is a, is a very um, interesting area in the advertising industry. It's changing a lot. Um, you know, brands, there's such a need for, for content these days. And brands are, um, you know, either taking production in-house, they're working with companies like Media Monks to, to produce, you know, quick turn content. But what you guys do is really more in the brand film space, as I would describe it. Um, really, you know, brands that want to get behind documentaries, feature films, series, powerful work that 
people might watch and not even realize that a brand is associated with it. So talk a little bit about um, that side of the work that you do, the way that you work with advertisers um, and, and maybe talk a little bit about breaking two and some of the successful projects you've done in the past. Um. Absolutely. Um, don't let me hog, hog everything, Jasper. I, I, I'm, no, you know, I think you you um, you you were behind breaking two. So why don't you jump in there and I can add some notes? Okay. okay. Um, so yeah. So we um, breaking two is a it was a fascinating thing. For those who don't know, breaking two was a Nike backed project, which was an attempt to see if basically to see if it was possible for human beings to run a marathon under two hours. To run a marathon under two hours, a human being would have to run every mile at about, oh God, I think, I think it's four minutes and 26 seconds a mile for 26.2 miles. So if you think about it on a treadmill, you know how tread, most treadmills go up to 10, well, this treadmill would have to go up to 13 and a bit, and then you'd have to run, run that for two hours. And so it was, it was just a question of whether it was humanly possible. Um, and it was an incredible experience. We, we got on the project very, very early when they were still trying to figure it out, and we ended up making a whole bunch of content, like advertising around the, the attempt, and eventually we realized it was going to be a two-hour um, two televised event of three guys running in a circle. <laughs> and so we realized, well, we've got to make that a bit more interesting. So we ended up making like about 90 minutes worth of content to be played during the event. And then we had so much amazing content. Um, at one point, I was work, talking with one of the Nike execs, and I was like, there's an amazing documentary here. Um, it just you guys can't make it otherwise it will feel like a an avid we just won't reach the audience it should um and they were incredible partners and they ended up they ended up pairing up with national geographic and we made a, a feature-length documentary about the attempt and, the, and it was uh it was an incredible experience because we did everything on that that one job which lasted about two years everything from um instagram spots um through you know traditional 30 second uh, commercials all the way up to the live stream and then the feature film. And um, it was very well received both um, in the in the sort of, you know, advertising community, but also it did really big numbers. Like a lot of people got inv involved online. And I think more than anything, what everyone loved about that project was that the audience, the online audience reaction, the positive to negative ratio was almost unlike anything like you'd ever seen. It was almost exclusively positive, and that's the one of the great takeaways from that project. Wow, Jasper, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I think I mean that's one of the reasons that I ended up joining Dirty Robber, and and just to unpack a little bit what Martin was saying that the reason that I think these guys were able to delve in and build this project was being involved by the brand at an early stage and, and, and Martin and the team understanding what the strategy and what the needs were for Nike are around long distance running and, and shining a light on these incredible athletes. And I think that that's the big, the big shift for us is really understanding the purpose of the brand and what their needs are and wants for certain aspects. And then we can help build a story around uh, the un understanding where they are and what they want to do. And, and that's something that I think is is a new paradigm shift as production companies with, uh, you know, the relationship with brands through agencies. It's more a little bit of an afterthought once everything's been developed and primarily they've been hired for execution. And I think that's a shift in thinking that allowed the success of Breaking 2. Mm. So instead of sort of bringing you guys in at the end, you were involved from the beginning, concepting, 
you know, learning about their goals. Um, I don't want to say replacing the creative agency, but maybe being more involved in a way that they might have been in the past. Yeah, um, definitely not replacing. Uh, Wyden, uh, Wyden Kennedy were, were a big part of the, uh, the project. And we had two incredible creatives that came in as the project gained steam and obviously were you know invaluable. But I do think that this was an extremely risky project for Nike in that they had – it was all about – it was they were effectively staging their own very high-risk – sporting competition or sporting event um, and putting an enormous amount of resources and, and money behind it. At any point, if the main, there was one main athlete, there were three athletes that tried to do this. Um, but there was one main athlete that everybody kind of knew was really the, the Wunderkind. His name is uh, Elliot Kipchoge from Kenya. Um, he is uh, as someone who spent almost, you know, like I say, eight years filming the world's best athletes. He is without equal among the people I've ever had the privilege of, of filming. Um, if he'd gotten injured at any point, this whole thing would have been an extraordinarily expensive boon, you know, mistake. Um, and so what happened was, rather than this being the traditional model where there was a massive upfront bid, right, and then the, the creative agency went out and found us, we came in and we were just filming it without necessarily knowing what we were going to be doing with the footage. Um, and we were doing it very cost-effectively. And... Um, as we, as you know, as the project developed, as it as, as it became clearer and clearer that Elliot and the other and Zersene and, and Lalisa, the other two runners, really might be able to do this thing, more and more resources were allocated, more it got more and more solid, and, and then you know at a certain point it made sense to bring uh, the creative agency in um, because uh, the messaging around the event needed to be shaped, which, you know, that, that we don't, you know, that we don't do that, right. We're not, we're not the strategic people. Um, we're not managing live streams. We're not that, we're not that, but we are, we were very, you know, being involved from the beginning meant we understood the story and we were helping to shape the storytelling from the very, very beginning. And, and that was what enabled, I mean, that, that was what enabled us to, to do to just you know our, our company we execute on every vertical you know within within the storytelling of this because we were the we knew the story because we've been there at every stage of it and um, so it was a radically different different way of working and um, uh, it it, it, it um, you know it, it's it's uh, it's important to say that, you know it's not replacing the creative agency but it's it would not have been possible by the traditional model because. The, the the spend required at the top to kind of get the investment in it would have outweighed would have been would have made the risk too great. But we were able to always be nimble and nimble, and then obviously by the end it became a very big job for everybody. And, and we needed Wyden, and we needed um, there was another company called Uncle Toes that did all the live streaming stuff. Like we needed all these other creative partners that we weren't we weren't even controlling. Right, we were just we became part of the system when it was time to become part of the system. But we were like the custodians of the story. And that, that, and that was what grounded everything. Right. So one thing that you brought up that's really interesting is the risk associated with a project like this. Um, you know, there's a very, there's a template for how you do brand campaigns, right? And this is, like you said, very different. This is, you guys are not just, um, you know, branded content or, you know, producer, commercial producers, like you create, you know, 
feature films and and other independent projects. And so this is really a different way of going about it for a brand um, where they're a little bit more in the background supporting these types of projects as opposed to front and center. So, you know, how much, what's it like working with a brand on these types of projects? How much handholding do you have to do? Um, I would imagine a lot of brands try to be really heavy handed and you have to kind of pull them back and say like, you have to let the work speak for itself. So talk about navigating that balance. I think, I think there's a lot of learning that's needed on both sides, both from us as producers and, and on the brand and the agency side and understanding us as storytellers. And I think that's some of the work that we're con- continuing to do to sort of understand the fluency of their language so the client feels comfortable. But I think, I mean, what, what the guys told me after Breaking 2, that they were approached by you know, several other brands saying that they wanted their breaking to. And, and it's easy just to see the success of this amazing project, but there really was a long development phase and, and, a, and a phase of getting to know each other. And I think that that's key too, is you don't necessarily need to jump in and have this home run to begin with. There, there's a way to develop content. And Martin, I think you can talk about that a little bit too, of um, understanding what the objectives are and, and through the process Sure, you can build out a longer form project, but 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 through the process, naturally, you were able to bring short form pieces of content that Nike were able to use on their social channels and, and other places right. to maximize the production money spent and also help the project evolve into what it became. Yeah, like we we also do traditional advertising and do quite a lot of the, of that, and that is probably the 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 more mainstay. You know, by volume, that's the more mainstay of our work. Um, the pieces that have really cut through are these ones that have a much higher risk portfolio in the middle of them, and a lot. As Jasper says, a large part of of that is I wouldn't call it handholding. It's like we. Um, we, we do a lot of work uh, that's just, just quite normal <laughs> and that builds the relationship so that you can get to a place where you're like, yeah, this is really crazy, but uh, I really think you guys should give all of this footage that we've spent nine, uh, 18 months filming, you should give it to Nat Geo and you should give them final cut um, on the movie about, you know, the biggest project that you guys are doing this year. Um, and Nike did that and then they did it because they trusted us um, to, to help navigate that partnership. But they trust us to help navigate that partnership because we've been working with them for, you know, half a decade at that point. And, and we've done, you know, hundreds of much more traditional, much more linear deliverables. Where, so we understood the brand, we understood their voice. So I, I think that a lot of people kind of, have kind of asked us over the, the, like, the last two or three years, like, how do we do a breaking two? How do we, you know, because like I said, I think it was really a dream project for, for, for Nike and then, and then for Nat Geo and that it got incredible engagement, incredible numbers, and then also sort of, you know, won every award um, in the, in the game. And, you know, it's, it's, you have to be prepared to take those big risks, but you don't want, you can't just take the risks into a void. <laughs> you have to take them into a structure that you've built with, with, with a team that you understand. Like we, we, we can't come in. We're actually working right now with um, with Red Bull on a on a long term project um, that's that's uh, that we're hoping is going to be a, a pretty big deal as well. Um, and again, part of that we're actually we were going to try and do it this year, but we've decided to push it to next year. And in the meantime, do a bunch of small small content stuff just for their channels, so that we learn each other, so that we understand each other, so that we develop that trust and that shorthand, that we understand the brand goals, 
and we understand where their comfort zone is, where their pressure points are, so that we can um, uh, help, you know, guide them and also guide the project towards the, the the best marketing. Always doesn't it never feels like marketing. It always just feels like storytelling, right? It, it always it always feels like that, and so that's always our goal. But there are always very specific hurdles with every brand we ever work with that you have to get every almost everybody shares that goal but each brand has unique hurdles towards that goal and you have to learn them and you have to be able to jump in tandem with the brand over those to, to get to that goal and it's a little little of a stretch metaphor but i think hopefully it makes a bit of sense <laughs> i like the metaphor it goes with the documentary <laughs> um do you um do you ever have to turn clients away and just be like this isn't going to work I mean, we, we, uh, for any clients listening, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> but we um, we don't take work that we think is a bad idea. Um, we don't. We you know, it's less a question of turning people away, and usually a question of expressing why we think um, the idea is a bad idea. Or um, you know, I mean, ideas that are unexecutable for the price—that's you know, a relatively common um, first stage. Um, but then you know most brands are smart enough to work with us that we can find a solution to it. Um, have we, have we turned people away? Absolutely. Have we, you know, like, like I say, like we, we went through a period after breaking two because it made such, so much noise that, uh, lots of different brands came to us with their idea of what they thought breaking their, their, their breaking two. And we didn't end up taking any of them on because they weren't, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and it would have been a, uh, we don't want to take. We don't want to say we can deliver something we can't. We don't. Right. We don't do that. Um, so that that uh, you know, it's not a question of turning it away. It's a question of investigating it with them and then sort of collectively realizing that that it wasn't uh, it wasn't going to work out the way that everybody needed it to if we were all going to take it on together. Got it. So, um, advertisers, marketers, they're obsessed with measuring things. Um, you know, everything has to be proven and that it works. Um, but with projects like this, it's, it's difficult to measure in the way that they're used to, right? Like you don't have the same like impressions and things like that. So how do, how do brands like measure the success of, of the work that you do with them in the branded film space? How do you help them with that? Um, there are, there are measurables, there are metrics. Um, like I say that the metric that most excited everybody was, um, online comment engagement. Um, you know, like, uh, you can basically guarantee on any Nike post there will be a certain set of people that will attack their perceived labor practices or um, perhaps, you know, athlete history. You know, I mean, there'll just be there's a sort of relatively standard set of responses they get no matter what they, they post. Um, um, and so they, you know, they, they judge that um, positive, neutral and negative engagement metric. And our positive metric engagement was just on a different level. Um, that spoke to the depth of the connection, but also, I mean, the live stream got an extraordinary number of views. The, 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 the Nagio documentary, when it came out, had a, um, it was a worldwide, I forget how many languages it was in. It was in some sort of, I was like, wait, there are that many languages. <laughs> um, there, there was like, um, uh, it was, in, and, it, and it was released in the, on the same day all around the world and it got an extraordinary viewership. Um, and so, um, there were metrics that they were able to, to do, but like, but the, to your point, on a deeper level, the kind of storytelling that we offer at the highest level is about 
um, it's about getting to the core of your brand's goals and is about sort of refreshing the the very sort of top level dreams, you know, or, or like not dreams, like that's not what I meant. Like the, the 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 top way that you connect with your audience, right? And and we know, I mean, one thing that was key for Nike is that they're a running company, right? They make running shoes. That's that's their core business. They do a lot of other things, but they started out making running shoes. And there are no famous runners in that in in the world, right? There's it's it's uh, there's Usain Bolt, um, and that's about it. And uh, and that has always bothered them. They have all these famous basketball players and soccer players and, and that. And uh, in Elliot Kipchoge, uh, they had a, they they had a star, and he became absolutely like one of their top tier athletes. Um, and you know, he spoke around the world. And then uh, we haven't mentioned this yet on this podcast, but when we filmed his attempt to do it, um, he missed it. He was twenty five seconds short. He, he failed. He didn't make it. But he also took like three minutes off the world record at the time, which is an unthinkable achievement. It's so it's so difficult to express how fast these people have to run <laughs> for that long uh, until you see it. Um, and um, and then the world tracked him. And then when he did do it uh, two years ago, it was a worldwide story everywhere that this you know this 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 Kenyan man from you know an obscure backwater in in central Kenya um, was the front page of the uh, Obama thanked him right like it was. Mm-hmm. They created a new sort of cultural movement around um, around running, around marathon, and ma- saw a massive spike of interest around their core their core initial company goal, which which is running. Um, and so I know that that was another key area that they were absolutely thrilled with. Interesting. Um, so it is more about sort of moving these, like associating your brand with a promise or a goal or more of a high level um, sort of topic in culture, as opposed to, you know, some some of the other initiatives that marketers do, like, that are more bottom of the funnel, I guess we would well, say. You know, like. We do. We do. You know, we. we I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to just pretend that we're we're writing a great American novel every day. You know, we. <laughs> we. Um. It's not a. Um. It's not. Um. That was the joy of that job, and I think that's why that job cut through so much. Is that, you know, we were selling shoes that uh, helped you run four percent faster. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they. They had a. They. They came up with an independently verified, scientifically sort of factual truth that there was a type of shoe, they invented this type of shoe, the Vaporfly, that would give you 4% energy return um, on every step um, over any other sneaker that ever been made. It was a revolutionary type of shoe. It's like controversial because it's so effective that it people sort of wonder if it shouldn't be allowed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and the, the amount of time that they had to take off the world record to get it out to two hours was also about 4%, right? So there was a very... Um, one-to-one, you know, whatever, I wouldn't say the bottom of the funnel, you know, we were selling shoes, right? We were there to, we were there to sell shoes that could make you run 4% faster and maybe help this guy break a world record. Um, but we did that by honestly connecting with the, the dream of human potential, you know, because 20 years ago, the most famous, um, biological scientists uh, at the time said that no human being would ever be able to run a marathon under two hours. Right. It, it had been stated as a fact. And so Nike got to take that on. And that is such a unifying feeling, you know, and, um, 
and that feeling once we generated that feeling like you said maybe maybe stay with your final metal for that was the top of the feeling but then there was a we, we made a lot of content that was designed to funnel that emotion and funnel that that optimism into you know helping other people to get out there in their in these shoes and see if they worked for them got it jasper do you have any thoughts on um you know how brands can can fit these types of projects into their their existing frameworks of success yeah, it's it's an interesting question as you you're asking about the uh, the metrics too because as a production company we're not always exposed to those things and I think that that's an important role that the agency or <clears throat> or media partner can help us with. But <clears throat> as you were talking, it makes me think about the project that everyone in in our space is talking about now is is Formula One and the halo effect that it's given not just to Formula One but also a lot of the brands that are involved and how it's expanded their audience. And I think nobody ever saw Formula One as being such a popular sport in the US. And uh, it's also done, you know, huge, huge numbers here and also benefited Renault and Red Bull and Mercedes in a way that I don't think anyone ever predicted. And and those are the, that's that's one property that the people that we're talking to are, are pointing to as an area of success, but I don't know, It'd be interesting to drill down and to see what the metrics are for something like that for those brands that maybe even aren't directly involved and being part of the conversation. But I think those are important metrics and it's sometimes in our world a little bit difficult to quantify and maybe makes it a little bit more scary of a proposition for a brand or an agency to jump in. Right. Yeah, it is is riskier, but it's also, I think a lot more brands are turning to this type of work because of all of the rise of subscription content and the the non-ad supported streaming networks that exist, Netflix, Disney Plus. Um, are you guys noticing an uptick in brands looking for more uh, film branded film like projects at, so that they can get themselves into these different environments? De- definitely those conversations are happening more and more and <clears throat> excuse me. I think that's something that will continue to develop as we see this transition. But it, it, it's the brands that we've heard of before, Nike, Red Bull, people in those worlds that I think are breaking down the barriers and, and, and others will follow because it is a little bit of a scarier proposition. Yeah. What do you think that's going to do to the entertainment world as we know it. I mean, you guys sit on both sides, right? Like you make independent stuff, you make branded stuff. As more brands start to fund content and put themselves into films and and, and TV series, how does that change um, the entertainment that we watch? I have a a pretty passionate answer to this, to be honest. Go for it. (laughs) I don't think people give a damn to (laughs) swear like my grandfather about who pays for the content, so long as the content is good. You know, when you when we, we when we work with a network or a studio in a you know in a, in a traditional media in a traditional entertainment sense, they have all sorts of rules and metrics and goals and target audiences and demos and things that you have to weave your creativity through. You know, unless you're unless you're you know on on, on that sort of very top level, you're you're dealing with the needs of that network. If you're smart and well, if you're working with a brand. One thing I want to point out, you know, we've worked with amazing brands and amazing executives and creatives at those brands. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're very used to people understanding fundamentally that 
the best marketing by and large often tells the story and doesn't remind people to go and buy the thing at the end. You know what I mean? It's the sort of halo, halo effect stuff. Um, but that, that kind of marketing fits really simply within well-constructed classical entertainment. Um, you know, Jasper brought up um, that F1 show, which, you know, is, is underwritten by F1 as well. It should be. It's the best piece of marketing they've ever made. Um, and because it's a great television show that really, really delivers on what people want. They want to understand what it means, what it's like to be a race car driver. And it's the most exciting thing in the world. Um, glamorous and stressful and, and passionate. And not one audience member that's ever watched it has, has gone like, yeah, but it's paid by F1, so it's a little bit biased. <laughs> like it just, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't occur to people. And um, it, it, that's the, you know, there's going to be a lot of bad versions of this, you know, because not, every, not everybody, you know, nobody hits the mark every time, right? But there's absolutely no reason that um, great content can't be funded by brands that have uh, goals that, al- that align with the content they're funding, mm-hmm. right? Like if you can find um, content that speaks to, 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 to the story that you're trying to tell, um, there's, I, don't think, I don't think that – I think we live in a media environment now where everything feels like it's got an angle. Right, we watch it like I love TikTok, and then you're like, they're like, oh, the foreign governments, like it's just a, it's just an app to steal your, um, to steal your, uh, you know, your your phone data, and every every kid, and, and also my response to that is like, they can have it so long as the TikToks are good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like at its basic level, I think there's a there's an there's an assumption that if it's free, that that, you know, that I am the product, right? People kind of know that. And if the content being given engages the audience, they don't, the resistance is just not there by and large, in my opinion. Interesting. I think, you know, talk, talking about F1 too, the, uh, and, and this kind of content, that the fundamental hurdle that we come across and, and, and where the biggest issue for, I think, an agency and a brand is at a certain point, you cannot control the narrative. And, and that, to me, is <clears throat> something that makes a project incredible and also is the scariest thing for, for an agency and a brand to, to, you know, to talk to a client or you know, whoever is responsible at the end of the day. But as F1, for an example, uh, I think it was in the third season that Mercedes started to get involved and, and agreed to kind of pull back the curtain on their operations. And I'm sure I, I'm just assuming this, looking from a you know from an observer, not having to do with the project. But if something went wrong and if it failed, it could have potentially been a disaster for them as a brand. But the 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 teams on that that show that necessarily uh, are struggling and improving every year those are the most compelling stories and i think have the biggest affinity with with the audience and and that's the biggest hurdle too that we you know when we're talking with a brand if you're following the story of an athlete or or, or who knows what it ends up being at a certain point the narrative will take its natural course and, and it's being comfortable with that still shaping it to to a degree to what the, the biggest strategy is, but that's the biggest hurdle, I think, for for people to take the to, the leap into this process. 
right? You can't get in the way of the story or else nobody's going to want to watch it, right? That's the trick. Yeah. Um, and having that conversation with a client who, you know, is putting a lot of money into development at this at a certain point, uh, and, and Martin can talk to this more, there's, there will be executives on, at the platform, whether it's at Amazon or, or Netflix or a Facebook, who will want to have editorial control. And, and that's a scary thing. But at the end of the day, it, it's for the betterment of the content, but still it's a hard thing to relinquish that control. Mm. Yes, that, that is, that is the everything that is the, that is the great, um, that, that's the, just was hit on the core of it, which is that these people are used to having, spending so much money and having so much control. And what we've been able to do works because we're able to convince the band with, by being honest, <laughs> that we will protect their interests whilst also serving what will become the ultimate master, which is the network, mm-hmm. um, which, which is ultimately we're all serving the viewer, right? Um, but it's, uh, it is a scary prospect, especially coming from, uh, you know, the traditional, traditional space where, you know, your client's sitting on set and sort of arguing about the shade of green um, of the sweater um, to, to know the network are going to have final cut. Like that's that that is the that's the uh the sine qua non of uh of, of of this transition the brands that can the brands that can handle that transition and find a way to to, to thrive there are the ones that are going to be able to make use of this new new market right so do you see that you know three to five years down the line i'm guessing that this trend of non-ad supported content is going to continue, more people are going to sign up for subscription services. Do you see brands embracing the risk here more um, as it becomes harder and harder to break through? Uh, I definitely do. And and I think seeing the success, it's going to become a necessity. I think just there's a fundamental change happening in, in, in this world. And to be part of these cultural conversations and to continue to engage with audiences, it's, it's going to be a necessary step. Well, um, speaking of that happening more and more, what interesting projects do you guys have in the pipeline? I know you mentioned Red Bull. Um, what other brands are, are getting into the space in an interesting way? Um, I mean, the Rebel, Rebels, the Rebel one is the is the most exciting one that we're working on right now because it's it's this exact play um, in that we are looking to build a, a TV show around something that people don't necessarily associate with Red Bull, but which they are very invested in, and they see a lot of um, a lot of their brand ideals represented in this world. Um, I probably shouldn't say what it is, right, Jasper? I'm not good at this stuff. Sorry, I'm on mute. My dog in the back garden, the joys of working from home is excited because somebody's back in the <laughs> neighborhood. But um, I, I don't think we should go into too, de- too much detail on the Rebel project, but there are two in play at the moment. And um, Which one should I? Yeah, yeah which one? Um, I think, one? I mean, the, the, there's one at the moment. We, we can talk about, I think, the, the, the there's one project around... Um, fans and and there's there's two avenues that we can go potentially with these projects and we're exploring both and that it is um it does end up strictly as a red bull project or it may end up into the distribution and that's what we were saying before the way that you can approach this with a brand there are multiple avenues to a certain point where you can develop and provide content 
So it does mitigate the risk to a large degree at the beginning. Right. Right. So you can you can make sure that the if even if the feature film doesn't happen, there's still a ton of content that they can exactly. work on. Exactly. And Red Bull are a great partner on this. They're, you know, they're kind of ahead of the curve because they've got their own internal media house. They, they've been making their own films for a long time. They, they're keen to kind of break into the more mainstream um, distribution partners. Um, but they've, they've, they've always seen, you know, they're, they're one of the sort of front runners of understanding how the power of storytelling and, and, uh, uh, and filmmaking can kind of lead back to their brand. Right. Um, there's also another, there's, you know, um, would you believe there's another Nike job um, <laughs> yeah, in the offering for us as well, which as the, the problem with the what's next conversation is these things are always so delicate and they're in the middle of happening and, and yes. Um, it's, yes. uh, it, it's hard to talk about them at this point. So. I understand. You need to be a little coy. We have to respect the, you know, the, 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 they're not, because also we can tell you something right now and then in two hours from now it's completely changed. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Well, I won't get you guys in trouble, but I'm definitely excited to learn more about the Red Bull work and see what you guys have coming down the pike. And I would be remiss to not mention that uh, Campaign US, PR Week, and MM&M are hosting our Brand Film Awards on May 25th. So listeners, please tune into that and see some of the great work in this space that's you know quickly starting to dominate um, the creative world. So with that, I'll just say thank you. Martin and Jasper for coming on the podcast. Congrats on your Oscar. And um, yeah, it's great to chat with you. It's been great hanging. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry and we'll see you next time. 